today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. David Crombie resigned on Saturday as chair and member of the Greenbelt Council. Uh, David Crombie, of course, is the former mayor of Toronto, uh, the tiny perfect mayor they used to call him. Uh, and he's also a former member of the uh, Conservative government. He was a cabinet minister for the Federal Conservative Party for a number of years. Uh, and he was a recent pick. It was only a few months ago that he actually got the position as chair of the Greenbelt Council. But he has uh, resigned uh, in protest over Doug Ford's Bill 229, which he calls an assault of high-level bombing, undermining the ability to protect the environment and the public. Six more members followed suit and resigned on Sunday morning. Six more members of the Greenbelt Council. Now, just to refresh your memory, the Greenbelt Council is a government-appointed expert panel that advises the provinces on issues related to the Greenbelt, a stretch of protected land surrounding the greater Toronto area that Ford has promised not to develop. Although, on more than one occasion, he's hinted that he may just think, well, maybe we can do something there. And Well, this bill essentially... Ties the hands of conservation authorities right across the province, and uh, we recently talked with the the chair of the Hamilton Conservation Authority, Ancaster Councillor Lloyd Ferguson, and he says that uh, one of the amendments would actually allow developers and others to go around conservation authorities and have permits approved directly by the province. Clearly, uh, in my view, they're pandering to the development community. Uh, they want the um, the ability to have any applications that are denied by the conservation authority to appeal to LPAT, Local Property Appeals Tribunal. And, of course, they don't have expertise on, on wetlands and conservation areas. So therein lies the problem, and, and this is a, a very upsetting problem. And this is not a left or right issue. Uh, this is an environmental issue. And, and uh, the reason I talked about David Crombie being a conservative uh, is that because this is not just you know a left-wing thing. This is supposed to be something that should concern to all of us. Joining us to talk about uh, what could be happening as a result of this legislation, uh, Tim Gray, Executive Director of Environmental Defense. Uh, Tim, thank you so much for the time. I'm glad you're back with us on the show today. Yeah, nice to chat with you. Well, if any time the environment needed a defense, it's now. Um, very, very troubling news about this. And, you know, we talked about this with the the, uh, the, the conservation authorities down in the London area, the Hamilton area, uh, and of which there are a number of them, of course. Uh, and it's not just them that should be concerned about this. It's, it's local councils, city councils that should be developed or concerned about this proposed legislation. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think there's, uh, you know, as you said, there's, there's almost no one in the province who thinks this is a good idea except for some of the the developers who want to, you know, put big developments like warehouses and wetlands, etc. So, yeah, it's a really bad idea, and I think you know you really saw that highlighted by high-profile resignations from the council by David Crombie and the rest of the members. I was on uh, Hamilton City Council when the Greenbelt legislation was actually passed, and uh, you know we had to deal with it. And and it, listen, it wasn't a kumbaya moment. There were some people that just outright didn't want to see anything like this. Others had some concerns about the way in which it was developed and areas that were that were covered as a greenbelt, and others that were not. Uh, it's but there's been some changes, and it's been a malleable situation over the years. But I, I think what we need to focus on here, Tim, is the intent of why they did this. Uh, and, and it's because basically, as I mentioned, the old Joni Mitchell song, you know, pay paradise and put up a parking lot. There has to be a, a, a pl- there has to be a game plan here, and the, it has to be a balance between you know, environmental sensitivity and development, and which is basically one of the uh, I guess the main driving forces of the green belt from the time it was initiated until now. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, we don't, we don't have a lot of um, protected areas in southern Ontario. If you think of wetlands, we only have about one to two percent of the, what we had originally left within the you know the GTA area. So um, you know we can't really afford to lose any more of these. And you know the Planning Act and Provincial Policy Statement have all been really clear on 
on not allowing development in these areas anymore because we've just lost so much. Like at some point, you just can't afford to lose anymore. And we know that wetlands are capturing rainfall events, especially as they get worse and worse all the time with climate change. They provide wildlife habitat. They provide opportunities for people to walk and get out of houses, especially important during times of COVID. So these remaining natural areas, uh, in particular close to or in cities, are really important. But you can imagine if you're a developer and you've bought some of these lands, um, uh, you may have been able to buy them quite cheaply because they have been zoned for no development, and therefore they don't have you know nearly the market value. But if you can convince the government to uh, change the rules and then start to allow you to put buildings in the middle of these wetlands or river corridors or floodplains, suddenly that land uh, has speculative value that that can go up orders of magnitude. So um, these kind of changes are, are, are a huge gift to land speculators and developers, uh, but unfortunately they come at a huge, huge cost to the public interest and to municipalities and everybody else who has to bear the consequences of having these areas developed. Well, and, and we, have, we can see the consequences of what happened before the Greenbelt Council came along and before the Greenbelt legislation came along, where the, you know it was done on, a, on pretty much on an arbitrary basis. Uh, the impact on conservation authorities is, is immense, though, and I, I wanted to explain that to our listeners if we could, Tim. Uh, if, if a developer comes along and says, you know, I own this piece of land over here, uh, even if it's not in the green belt, and says, "Yeah, I want to build uh, 250 homes here," uh, and uh, you know, and you know, you, you do the negotiation. The the conservation authority, of course, has what they call commenting authority, where they will come in and they'll look at the plan and they'll say, "You realize this is the Red Hill watershed, and at watersheds, people have to understand there's water underneath us, just about everywhere you live in southern Ontario, underground tributaries, etc., that fall into the Great Lakes eventually, uh, and the impact that a development could have could be." disastrous as you said on, on things like like uh, rainfall accumulations of flooding things of this nature uh, and fresh water and and of course the species that are involved in that I mean there's a whole long list of things that I know you're aware about but f- without that input from conservation authorities city councilors uh, may not even have any input into this the government could just arbitrarily say yeah that looks like a good idea go ahead and build and and the, you know whatever the consequences are well too bad so sad yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the concern is that, um, you know, most of the time, as you mentioned, conservation authority staff do an assessment of a new project and, you know, talk to the developer and say, no, you're going to have to set, you know, the development this far back from the stream. You can't be on the floodplain. No, you can't cut down that remaining forest area. No, you can't fill in that wet, wetland. And there's real incentive for the developer to negotiate with the conservation authority because they actually hold the power to issue the final permit. No permit, no development. So it makes you know, obviously you're going to negotiate with a regulator who actually has some authority. But now what the province has done is said, don't worry, like, they're not going to have the final say anymore. You know, we can come in as, as, as uh, politicians and we can just give you the permit. So if you're a developer and you would prefer to build in the floodplain because maybe you can build another uh, high rise, or you can put another five or six houses, uh, you're not going to listen to the conservation authority anymore because they're not the ones who have the final say. So it completely moves it from being a science-based decision by professional staff who are trained in this area to being a decision made by politicians who have no background and uh, have uh, no incentive to say no to development application that could be really destructive in the long term. 
I, I know a little bit about the operation here. As I say, I was on council when this legislation was developed. Uh, my wife, Rebecca Wizens, was uh, one of the initial members of the Greenbelt Council when uh, when the legislation was finally passed into law. She served with uh, Dr. Bob Elgie, Robert Elgie, uh, for many, mm. many years. He was outstanding, great, great guy. Uh, and by the way, also a, a progressive conservative. He was a cabinet minister in the Bill Davis government. And, and Bill Davis himself, the former premier, is a staunch supporter of the Greenbelt legislation. So this is this is not, a, a, like I say, a political issue. It shouldn't be, but it seems as if this government's turning it into one. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting, as you say. I mean, there's a long history of conservative governments doing uh, increasingly uh, beneficial things around land use. You mentioned Bill Davis. Well, he brought in the Niagara Escarpment Commission in the mid-'70s, you know, back when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw during the Harris era the creation of the Oak Ridges Moraine, which was then expanded into the Greenbelt by the Liberal government. So as we've discovered that you know more and more sprawl and poor planning and bad transportation systems are eating up farmland, making life more expensive, increasing gridlock, more and more governments have said, said you know, no, we need to turn this around, protect some of the remaining areas, and change the way that we develop in southern Ontario. But this government is a complete anomaly in that, and that they really want to take us back to like a 1950s kind of approach. You know, right after the war, when we decided we would just build highways everywhere, allow sprawl to eat up all the farmland and uh, just destroy all the remaining natural areas. But it's completely unsustainable, and it'll make southern Ontario uneconomic, non-competitive, and a really bad place to live. And uh, it's just really unfortunate that they've decided that this is going to be their approach to, to land use. And I really think it's because of incredible influence and power of some elements of the development community on this government, and it's pretty shocking. Well, we heard that during the election campaign, didn't we? We uh, well documented the meeting that uh, the then candidate Doug Ford had uh, with some developers, where he mused about the idea of letting them build in the green belt. He backed off because of the pushback he got on it. But this is not the first time that they've decided. You know what? Maybe maybe that legislation's not as as important as we seem to think it is. And, and there's an important point to be made here, I think, too, Tim. Uh, like I say, from my wife's experience on the Green Belt and, and my experience, I actually I served on the Conservation Authority here in the Hamilton area too, uh, when I was on council. The answer is not always no to developing on these on these lands. Uh, the answer can sometimes be yeah, but not the way you want to do it. You can you have to do this, this, and this to protect these elements of of that particular land or environment, whatever the case might be. Uh, which is what you said. There can be a negotiation about this, and it's not anybody giving up on their principles. It's just a matter of we can make this work. Sometimes the answer is no. Like you know, you no, you're not going to build you know, high rises on you know uh, in the Holland Marsh. That's just not going to happen. But sometimes the answer can be yes with these changes uh but that's all because of the professional input you get from the experts absolutely yeah i mean i think uh, what i was talking to some folks within conservation ontario and you know 0.2 percent of the um uh, permits were actually ended up being appealed in 2018 which is the year they have the most recent data so that means that you know over 99 percent of the of the decisions that were made by conservation authorities um, were fine. Like people didn't need to feel they need to appeal them. And that's because almost all the time there is this negotiation, um, you know, except for these high value areas. And because the conservation authority can say no, then the, the developers just don't propose putting huge uh, complexes in the middle of very, very sensitive areas, wetlands, forests, river valleys, etc. But that'll all be changed now because they know that the only uh, um, path they need to follow to get approval is is directly to the minister's office. And um, so every decision then becomes political instead of science-based. 
Well, and, you know, that's it, it starts to fall into the guise of, well, we're open for business, which is a, a, loud, a, a, it's, that's a laudable idea, I suppose, but th- there have to be parameters even with that. I get that, that, you know, there's a, an economic crisis going on because of the pandemic. We all understand that. But that doesn't mean we just throw everything up with the bathwater, do we, and just say, go ahead and do what you want wherever you want. Yeah, I mean, I think we've learned a bit from what's going on with this COVID crisis. I mean, there is no uh, society, there is no economy without health and environment. Like, the environment is not something that's separate over there. I mean, we all live on land, we all breathe air, we all drink water. Um, if those things are ruined, you don't have a viable economy. And, you know, we're seeing the consequences of bad planning for the last, you know, 50 or 60 years in southern Ontario in the form of reduced productivity and gridlock, three hours a day, people commuting, you know, before they all had to stay home and, uh, and, uh, loss of farmland, et cetera. So you know, try and think about extending that pattern of growth out for like another hundred years. I mean, what is Southern Ontario going to be like if we continue to focus on just allowing this kind of sprawl and eating up the remaining natural areas? Um, it's not going to be a very livable place. Well, there's a story a couple of weeks ago that I think kind of underscores what you're talking about here. And there's somebody complaining that they saw wolves in the, in a residential area and in a major city. We've seen them here in the Hamilton area, too. Uh, I'm right on the edge of a conservation authority. But, I mean, even further in, inland, we see them. And, and, and the person who's telling me about it was complaining and says, you know, they're encroaching on our territory. And I said, actually, you've got that backwards. Uh, we're encroaching on theirs, which is why you're seeing them, because we keep tearing apart woodlands and, and environmentally sensitive areas. And I mean, they have to go looking for food and shelter, and uh, they're they're looking in places that they haven't had to look before, and that's because of the encroachment that's occurring. Yeah, this is a widespread problem, you know, across Canada. When you have loss of habitat, you know, you can end up with more interactions with with wildlife, and you know, people have to learn how to adapt to that if they want to live in habitats where um, they have been occupied by things like wolves or cougars if you're out west etc so yeah for sure um and then all the values that having these intact systems bring to to the rest of us you know we know that if you have a woodlot near a farm for example that the farm's going to be healthier because it's going to have the birds and insects in that uh in that woodland that help to control insect pests that might attack crops etc there's all these things that go on in the ecosystem that you know we don't often learn enough about to really realize how dependent we are on having all these things function and that's why we need you know, organizations like conservation authorities that are staffed by scientists that can help to ensure that some of the decisions that we make around development are, in fact, informed by this information that maybe a lot of us don't know. And in particular, a lot of uh, politicians don't have an opportunity to be educated in. So we need the services of these professional people. All right, crystal ball for me here, Tim. Uh, with Crombie's uh, resignation and, and actually six more members of the Greenbelt Council resigning the day after that, uh, is this going to move the government to reconsider this legislation? I would certainly hope so. Um, you know, it's, it's hard with the crystal ball. I'm not great at that. But, yeah. um, you know, I think the evidence here really points to a, a, you know, a need for them to reconsider this. Uh, they didn't consult with the conservation authorities or, or the council or anyone else uh, on these changes before they were inserted into a budget bill. Um, they also don't have anything to do with the budget itself, so they could be safely removed without compromising, you know, the overall integrity of a budget bill, which, of course, you have to, you know, protect, uh, for the government to stay in power. But, um, there's no need to keep this schedule. It can be easily removed, and, uh, I'm really hoping that they do that. It's it's a little daunting. I mean, we haven't even had time to get into some of the other aspects of the of the legislation that that are, are problematic. Uh, for instance, uh, stripping private citizens uh, from from actually being members of conservation authorities, uh, and these are people that 
could have expertise in things like agriculture and environmental issues, etc. And it's just going to be elected officials that are going to be on these councils who may or may not, probably in most cases, don't uh, have that sort of knowledge before they're making decisions on this. Uh, I, I'm a little concerned when I had I know at least one MPP said that uh, the only noise we're hearing about this legislation is from quote-unquote special interest groups, uh, which I take exception to. I, this is, you know, the environment is not a special interest. It should be a common interest. Yeah, I mean, I think in this situation, you know, you, you know, the only special interest uh, that is a private interest, profit-based interest that is supportive of these changes, uh, has been the development industry. You know, everyone else who has a non-financial interest in this issue uh, has come out in opposition. Everyone from farmers to the conservation authorities, to municipalities, to citizens' groups, to uh, individuals, um, you know, talking to their MPPs. I mean, we know that over 45,000 people have either phoned or emailed their, uh, members of provincial parliament about this issue directly. Um, so there's basically no one except special interests who actually support this bill. And by the way, I, I know that I made my commentary about this earlier this morning on my blog. Uh, I'm not trying to paint everybody who's in the development business as, as evil. I mean, uh, I think the phrase I used was unscrupulous developers, and they do exist. But there's an awful lot of people that do comply with this and respect the legislation and, and work within that. And, you know, it, it only takes one or two uh, to, to just blow this whole thing apart, though. And, and the government seems to be giving them license to do that. Yeah, I mean, there are obviously developers who do really great projects. Uh, I, mean, I know some of them. Uh, Leif Moore, who was a developer who was on the Greenbelt Council, uh, you know, was the head of uh, you know, two of the major home building um, associations in the GTA, and, and he resigned. So there are clearly individuals who uh, you know, care about this. I mean, what would be really great is to see either the associations like BUILD or the OHBA or some of the major branded developers out there uh, come out and, and, and support the public in this in this issue. Um, I think their silence, uh, you know, is is, is telling, and uh, I really think that they should be pressured to uh, you know join with the broader public to support uh, ensuring that this bill does not go ahead in its current form. But we haven't heard any comment from the government about the resignation, so uh, hopefully that will alter some minds. I don't know if they have to be visited by three spirits, but something's going to have to happen here. Uh, Tim, always great to get you on here and get your perspective. Thanks for the time today. Yeah, thanks so much. Have a great holiday. You too. Tim Gray, Executive Director for uh, Environmental Defense. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.